Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to this Doctrine and Covenants podcast. Aren't you so happy to be here? I'm sure you are. Section 41 is what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to read the heading first. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet to the church at Kirtland, Ohio, February the 4th, 1831. This revelation instructs the prophet and church elders to pray to receive God's law. Joseph Smith had just arrived in Kirtland from New York, and Lehman Copley, a church member in nearby Thompson, Ohio, requested Brother Joseph and Sidney Rigdon lived with him, and he would furnish them houses and provisions. The following revelations, revelation clarifies where Joseph and Sidney should live and also calls Edward Partridge to be the church's first bishop. A little background on this one as well. Doctrine and Covenants 41 is of special importance because it restored the office of bishop in the Church of Christ. Though it would not be until the church had established itself in Salt Lake Valley that bishops would function in wards as they do in our day, Those holding the office of bishop played an important role in directing temporal affairs in this early period. This is the first of many revelations that were received in Ohio, where more sections of the Doctrine and Covenants were given than in any other location. Kirtland was designated by the Lord as the first place of gathering for the saints in this dispensation. The prophet Joseph Smith wrote, The latter part of January, in company with brothers Sidney Rigdon and Edward Partridge, I started with my wife for Kirtland, Ohio, where we arrived about the 1st of February and were kindly received and welcomed into the house of brother Newell K. Whitney. My wife and I lived in the family of brother Whitney several weeks and received every kindness and attention which could be expected, and especially from sister Whitney. That was by uh, Joseph uh, Fielding McConkie. Even before their conversion to the gospel, some of the saints in the Kirtland area had been trying under the, under the leadership of Sidney Rigdon to live primitive Christianity, the pure and original Christianity of the New Testament, by following the teachings of the New Testament and nothing else. When they read in Acts 2 and 4 that the ancient saints were together and had all things common, they formed a communal society called the family and practiced group ownership of, an individual res- of all individual resources. They called this arrangement having common stock. When Sidney Rigdon joined the church, he went to Fayette and invited the prophet to Kirtland. But Joseph sent John Whitmer instead, and Sidney stayed in Fayette to act as scribe for the prophet. Though most of the family in Kirtland had since joined the church, they were still involved in living this common stock law, which John Whitmer arrived from Fayette to preside over the community. Um, the community Seeing the problems crea- John, seeing the problems created by common stock, wrote to the prophet and requested that he come to Kirtland. Joseph inquired of the Lord and was told to go quickly. According to Joseph Smith's account in the history of the church, he and Emma, in company with Sidney Rigdon and Edward Partridge, arrived in Kirtland, Ohio, around the 1st of February, 1831, and perhaps as early as the 30th of January. Emma was then six months pregnant with twins, and the, and the Smiths moved temporarily into the home of Newell Kay and Elizabeth Whitney. On his arrival, Joseph Smith found a young, enthusiastic branch of the church in Kirtland. His own observation was that the members were striving to do the will of God so far as they knew it, though some strange notions and false spirits had crept in among them. With a little caution and some wisdom, I soon assisted the the brethren and sisters to overcome them. The plan of common stock, which had existed in what was called the family— 
whose members generally had embraced the everlasting gospel, was readily abandoned for the more perfect law of the Lord, and the false spirits were easily discerned and rejected by the light of revelation. John Whitmer added the following information to Joseph's account. About these days, Joseph and Sidney arrived at Kirtland to the joy and satisfaction of the saints. The disciples had all things common and were going to dis- and going to destruction very fast as to temporal things. For they considered from reading the scripture that what belonged to a brother belonged to any of the brethren. Therefore, they would take each other's clothes and other property and use it without leave, which brought on confusion and disappointment, for they did not understand the scripture. For example, when Levi Hancock was visiting the family, Herman Bassett, one of its members, took Levi's pocket watch and sold it. He later explained that he had thought it was all in the family. For the Lord to give the true law of consecration to the church and thus to correct the common stock ideas of the, of the members of the family, he needed someone to act as his agent in administering properties according to, to his law. Consequently, Edward Partridge was called to become the first bishop in the Latter-day Church. D&C 41, I should say Doctrine and Covenants 41, was the first revelation received in Ohio. Its purpose was essentially to prepare the saints for Doctrine and Covenants 42, which was received five days later on the 9th of February, 1831. Verse 1, Hearken and hear, O ye people, O ye my people, saith the Lord your God, ye whom I delight to bless with the greatest of all blessings, Ye that hear me, and ye that hear me not, will I curse, that have professed my name with the heaviest of all cursings. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, whom I have called. Behold, I give unto you a commandment, that ye shall assemble yourselves together to agree upon my word. According to the law of common consent, the elders must collectively agree to accept their responsibilities under the law of the church by their sustaining vote. And by the prayer of your faith, ye shall receive my law, that ye may know how to govern my church and have all things right before me. And I will be your ruler when I come, and behold, I come quickly, and ye shall see that my law is kept. He that receiveth my law and doeth it, the same is my disciple. And he that saith he receiveth it and doeth it not, the same is not my disciple, and shall be cast out from among you. For it is not meet that the things which belong to the children of the kingdom should be given to them that are not worthy, or to dogs, or, to, or the pearls to be cast before swine. The word meet has an archaic meaning of right, fitting, appropriate, or proper. Because the church was about to receive the law of consecration, it was not right that those who would not make the sacrifices of discipleship should reap the rewards of faithful members' consecration. Right now in the church, we have room for inactive members, but when the church as a a whole begins again to live the law of consecration institutionally instead of individually as we now do, and we begin to establish Zion, there will quickly be no more middle ground for the passive and lukewarm to stand upon. Since Zion is a community of saints who are of one heart and one mind, who dwell in righteousness and have no poor among them, the less active who will not dwell in righteousness or who are not of one heart and one mind with the saints must either repent or leave. Otherwise, Zion cannot be established. Diversity is not necessarily a virtue in Zion, nor is Zion a pluralistic society. There will certainly be diversity of races and to a degree of a diversity of cultures, of personalities, of interests, and of wants, but there will be no diversity of values, ethics, morals, or of religious beliefs and doctrine, for Zion will be of one heart and one mind in these essentials and will dwell in righteousness according to one law, the heart and mind of the Savior, which is the law of the church. And that was by Bruce R. McConkie. 
Verse 7, and again, it is meet that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. should have a house built in which to live and translate. And again, it is meet that my servant Sidney Rigdon should live as seemeth him good inasmuch as he keepeth my commandments. And again, I have called my servant Edward Partridge, and I give a commandment that he should be appointed by the voice of the church and ordained a bishop unto the church to leave his merchandise and to spend all his time in the labors of the church. This verse reveals how a bishop is called in the church. Even though the Lord revealed to the prophet who should be the bishop, Edward Partridge could not be ordained until the collective voice of the church should sustain him, according to the law of common consent and the express instruction of the Lord. Only then, after being designated by revelation, called by those in authority and sustained publicly by the voice of the membership, could Edward be ordained. Today, the procedure is essentially the same. A stake president seeks revelation to nominate a person to be bishop, and sends that nomination to the First Presidency, who in consultation with the Quorum of the Twelve seek the Lord's approval, and then issue a call through the stake president. After a public sustaining vote of the ward members, the stake presidency, with approval of the First Presidency, ordains the individual to the office of bishop and sets him apart to preside over a particular ward. The duties of a bishop were not revealed at this time as the restoration of priesthood offices unfolded, responsibilities and instructions concerning bishops were were received. The office to which Edward Partridge was called would be somewhat equivalent to that of presiding bishop of the church today. The presiding bishop was responsible for overseeing the Lord's storehouses for the poor, a function considered to be full-time employment. In addition, he was appointed to be a judge in Israel, like as it was in ancient days, to divide the lands of the, of the heritage of God unto his children within the law of consecration. Further, he was to judge members of the church with the assistance of two counselors. The Lord instructed that Edward Partridge, as the presiding bishop, was to live in Zion, which was later identified as Jackson County, Missouri. He was responsible for the purchase of lands that were given as inheritances to the saints and for church buildings, specifically the temple. Edward Partridge was the second person called to full-time service in the kingdom. Earlier, the prophet Joseph Smith was called to devote all of his labors in Zion and told that he should receive his support from the church, and that was back in Doctrine and Covenants section 24. By appointment, Bishop Partridge was to oversee the Lord's storehouse for the poor and be employed in doing this business. It was by this means that he was to provide for the needs of his own family, and that was a quote by Joseph Fielding McConkie. Verse 10, to see all, to see to all things as it shall be appointed unto him in my laws in the day that I shall give them, and this because his heart is pure before me, for he is like unto Nathanael of old, in whom there is no guile. These words are given unto you, and they are pure before me. Wherefore, beware how you hold them, for they are to be answered upon your souls in the day of judgment. Even so, amen. You can see here the responsibility of of the welfare of others that the bishop is given, and so those that hold these positions will be held accountable for... Um, for those that they were to re- to supervise over or to serve. I bear testimony of the truth of these things, and as we get into the next couple sections here about uh, the office of bishop and also about the law of consecration, we'll find out more about that. I bear testimony of the truth of these things and say that this is uh, evidence of the uh, unfolding of the restoration, that things are being restored here. We have the, bishop of, the office of bishop being restored, and, uh, and these things will continue. I bear this testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.